You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. John 12, starting with the 12th verse. Just before we roll into verse 12, in verse 9 and 10, we find out that the religious crowd of the day is so angry about the crowds that Jesus is garnering, so angry about his popularity on the rise because he has just been in that place where Lazarus has been resurrected from the dead, and we'll talk about that in a minute, that they want to, they're plotting to do away with Jesus and to kill Lazarus. When the church slides so far that it not only wants to kill the miracle worker, but it wants to kill the miracle That's a church that's lost its way. This is where we're picking up. Are you ready? Verse 12. The next day, a vast crowd of those who had come to the Passover, I'm reading out of the Amplified, the Passover feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And as they went, they kept shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he. And praise to his name, who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus, having found a young donkey, rode upon it, just as it is written in the scriptures. Do not fear, O daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That's Zechariah, the ninth chapter, ninth verse. His disciples did not understand and could not comprehend the meaning of these things first. But when Jesus was glorified and exalted, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The group that had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from among the dead kept telling it and bearing witness to others. It was for this reason that the crowd went out to meet him, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, this proof, this miracle. Then the Pharisees said among themselves, you see how futile your efforts are and how you accomplish nothing. See, the whole world is running after him. I'm going to stop right there. It's an awkward place to stop, but I'm stopping right there. Look at the church. Look at the attitude of the church. A mighty miracle has been wrought. People are talking about the mighty miracle. They can't quit talking about the mighty miracle because this wasn't just, uh, this wasn't the same type of miracle that the prophets of old, such as Elijah or Elisha, had accomplished when they raised someone from the dead. Those people hadn't been dead 
for four days. It's Jewish tradition that when someone dies within the first three days, you can resurrect that person. But if they go beyond day number three, there is no resurrection for that person. And it was Martha standing outside the tomb, Lazarus' sister, who said, if you'd have just been here a little bit sooner, Jesus, her heart filled with despair, understanding the time is now past. If you had just been here that much sooner, Jesus, my brother would have lived. He would have recovered from his deadly disease. And it's in that moment that Jesus said to Martha, the most exciting words in all of Christianity, when he said, Martha, I am evoking the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the Y-H-W-H, because he was there when the worlds were created. When God spoke the worlds into existence, it was the word that made it come to pass. He was there. He was Yahweh. He understands the heart of the Father. His face is the face of the Father in the earth. And he's telling her, it's not as hopeless as you think, Martha. I am God, he's saying, God, the resurrection is here. Wow. I haven't even started yet. Mm. All right. Look at this. We're joining the story right now where Jesus is riding a wave of popularity he has raised Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11, and everyone is talking about this miracle. Four days dead. The crowds are coming. They cannot believe what has happened. Only God could perform a miracle like that. Only God's man could perform a miracle like that. A body dead for four days, coming back from the realm of the dead to walk amongst the living. And as he stood outside that tomb, he said, Lazarus, uh, come forth. Uh, and that body still wrapped uh, and shrouded in grave clothes found its way to the door while those who were there the paid mourners began to I would imagine probably began to faint and fall out couldn't believe what their eyes were seeing this is impossible he's been dead too long you cannot come back from decay after four days but Jesus has just proved to them he is the resurrection I've got a strange title for this message today I want to give it before I get too far ahead of myself. Are you a palm reader? <laughs> I know it's strange. It's a strange title. It's a strange thought. Are you a palm reader? Now, I know what just flashed up in your mind. In your mind, you're seeing those signs that you see in the city when you drive around of a hand in a, it lit up in a window with, what do you call that? What's that lighting called? Fluorescent lighting that says palms red here. Uh, and, and people who go in there who do not have hope in God are wanting to know what the future says for me. What does the future hold for me? What does my future say? And, and, and there's people who claim that they can look at the lines on your hand and tell you tell you what your future is. I look at the lines on my hand and I go, I'm getting wrinkled. I 
I've never once seen my future in the palm of my hands. And I know that's the image that you have, but that's not the image I'm going to leave you with when it's all said and done. But I do want you to know that if you can read the palm of Jesus... If you can read the palms on Palm Sunday, your future will look bright if you have an understanding of what they mean. Because a palm branch, it represents victory and triumph and peace and eternal life. And it was something that was awarded to an athlete in the games, in what we call the Olympic Games back in the, in the first century. They were given palm leaves. Palm leaves said, you are victorious. In fact, a palm leaf represents a victory personified. Do you know what that means? Victory in person. And when the people who, who were excited about this miracle were talking about and witnessing to everyone around them about the miracle that they have seen at Lazarus' tombs, more and more people are believing because of the excitement of those that witnessed the miracle. You don't always have to witness a miracle to believe it. All you have to do is hear the, witness, the eyewitness story of someone else. And everyone's beginning to believe and throngs are beginning to to come. Jesus has just uh, been at Martha's house uh, six days prior to the Passover. He's been to Martha's house. And once again, Mary, who broke in to Simon the leper's house and lavished a praise upon Jesus after the resurrection of Lazarus, now in Martha's home, she is once again lavishing on Christ the, the love that she has for him with spikenard. She's pouring it all out. You'll find that in chapter 12, verse 1 through 11. Jesus is being honored by Martha with a dinner. That's what she did best. She has the gift of hospitality. And Jesus is at Bethany six days before the Passover. And Mary begins to get extravagant in worship again. And I don't know where she got it, but she got another flask of spikenard. And she broke it on the feet of Jesus and began to wipe his feet with her hair. And the whole house smelled like perfume for as she worshiped at the feet of the resurrection suddenly the whole house was wafting with the smell and the fragrance of worship while Judas one of his own was standing there and seething the moment that this was being wasted because he was galled he couldn't get his fingers on a, a little more of the money he was stealing out of the ministry of Jesus let me tell you something if you're pilfering money from the ministry of Jesus I don't want to be in your shoes. I don't want to be in your shoes. I don't want to be in your shoes. Look at this. I'm getting so carried away. I'm having fun. Judas is upset about this waste, but he's a thief. Don't worry about him. A vast crowd shows up to see Jesus. He's at Bethany. He's eating, and the crowds are gathering outside. They just want to see him. They want to be near him. There's nothing like a miracle happening in your life when the power of God is displayed that draws you to him. If you want to know God, if you want to know how to win an unbeliever, you're not going to win them with words you preach. You're not going to win them with a shimmy and a shake. You're going to win them when they get the miracle that they need. They 
they witness something they've never seen before. If they see the demonstration of God's power, it turns not only them on, but everybody they know because they can't shut up about it. All they can do is talk about what God has done. Uh, when a woman who's been bent over for 18 years uh, comes in contact with the Lord Jesus and he says to her, he says, woman, thou art loosed and she stands up and begins to magnify him and glorify him. That's an image you do not forget when a mummified body appears at the door of the sepulcher. I'm here to let you know that is an image you do not soon forget and an image you have to talk about. I'm having fun. But I've got 27 pages of notes. I need to hurry. This vast crowd has shown up to see Jesus. I'm going to pop in and out with some different thoughts as we go. Try to stay with me if you can. Listen to me, those of you who are poised, those of you who are in the lit class and you're learning to become leaders, those of you that have already graduated that and ready for the next level, those of you that carry a license to preach the gospel, listen to me. Just because the crowd gathers, you've got to be careful when there's a crowd gathering. You've got to beware who it is that's gathering around you. You. For as many as there are that want to shout about the miracle, there are those in the crowd who hold a different point of view. There are those in the crowd who have a different outcome in mind for you. For every true follower, there is a Judas. For every admirer, there's someone of animosity. For every true worshiper, there is a detractor. For every friend, there is an enemy. For in that place of Bethany where the crowd of enthusiasts were, there were those who wanted to murder the miracle and the miracle worker. In fact, in verse 10, it says, well, it lets us understand that while you garner and gain success in your ministry, others fear their losses and are willing to sacrifice a true move of God for their position. There are those who will not be happy when the Lord shows up and does great and wonderful exploits in your presence. But I'm not letting that stop my revival. I'm not letting that stop me from my flow. I'm not letting that stop me in the community. I don't care what people think of me. What I do care about is if they found the Lord Jesus Christ and if they found him through the power of the miraculous, then I've done my job because the Bible says that signs and wonders follow those who believe. Mm, are you with me so far? While the people are defecting the traditional legalistic doctrines and dogma of man, there's a seething soul of jealousy and pride plotting your demise. You see, they were coming out from the traditional church and running out in the wilderness to see Jesus. They were running into places to follow him. This crowd that followed Jesus was of a pure heart and a genuine excitement. And they are moved to passion. And they call for Jesus to declare himself the Messiah. Everyone's hoping and praying that this will be the man who finally declares to all of Israel, I am he, the one that you've been waiting for. But Jesus, before he rides into the city in this 
triumphant moment uh, before he gets uh, the place of adulation where he rides in for everyone to understand that this is victory personified. He weeps over the city because he understands its people. He knows that they are about to be turned away from the truth that they believe by a demonic darkness. Uh, Jesus knows that they have a misconception of his mission. He knows they want a military conquest over Rome and he came for the conquest of the soul. His kingdom message has been interpreted as an overthrow of natural means but when he came uh, he came here for a supernatural mission and when Jesus throws his leg over the colt to fulfill Zechariah 9.9 this is what the crowd has been waiting for. He has declared I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the answer for all the 400 years of silence. I am the answer. I'm the one that was prophesied in Genesis the third chapter. I am he that will crush the head of the serpent and everyone is excited because they see him overthrowing the tyranny of Rome and now the streets explode with jubilation. There's dancing. There's music. There's celebration. They are chanting Hosanna, 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 which means Lord save us, Lord save us, Lord save us. And that's exactly why he came to save them from the sin issue that's dragging their soul into a hell never intended for mankind. He came to save them from a desperate situation. And while they're crying Hosanna, their heart is screaming Hosanna, get away, do away with Rome, do away with the political uh, posturing of the day, do away, do away, do away with the natural things. But he came to deal with the hard issues of man. I'm having fun. They are chanting, save us, save us. They see the Roman occupation ending, and they just continue to, to build up their fervor. But he sees Satan. This is what Jesus sees. He sees Satan handing over the keys to Adam's dominion, stolen back in Genesis. He sees Satan having to give up the keys while they're looking for Rome to be run out. Jesus is saying, I'm going to unlock mankind for as long as there is time. I'll roll it back to Genesis and I'll roll it forward to Revelation and I will get the keys of death, hell, and the grave and I'll get I'll get Adam's dominion back because the second man Adam came and did what the first man Adam could not do. Mm. While the multitude screams, he is here. He is here. They wave palm leaves and throw their clothes in the street before the cold. And there's a faction seething in hatred and fear in the midst of the crowd. The church, God's church, Christ's church has grown contemptuous and murderous. While the crowd rejoiced in a true move of God, complete with signs and miracles and wonders, the traditional church was chanting, stop this move, stop this move, stop this move at all cost. Don't do something outside of our norm. Don't do something outside of our parameters. Don't let God out of the box because if you let him out of the box, you can't get him back in the box. I want you to know that Jesus came to prove to you God was already out of the box when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and said, come out. Yeah. 
I'm glad I'm not as fat a man as I used to be. The church Jesus came for was about to thwart her mission. Listen closely to me. I'm going to unravel some mystery for you. When we read the parables of Jesus, we so often see them in our day and age. We see that what Jesus is saying applies to us. Now, that is not incorrect. It does. But listen to me. In the time that Jesus is releasing the parables, the teachings that are done in story form, he's sending a very clear and distinct message to the traditional church. Are you ready? Hmm. Jesus came, but his church is about to thwart her mission. This is why he's weeping over the city. God's people were about to trade God's plan for a demonic agenda fueled by pride, jealousy, greed, and lust. The leaders of God's church were poised to sedition and ready to incite a riot. Their self-preservation was fueled by murderous intent and was there for one purpose. Kill the move of God. Kill the man of God. And kill the miracle of God. While the true move of God rejoices in the streets, the church refused to read the palm of Jesus. Jesus, riding through the streets in great triumph, yet the church's refusal to read the palms of Jesus was soon answered by God's rejection of them. Something Jesus taught over and over and over. Look at this. She was about to lose her mission. What was the mission of the first century church? Go into all the world and teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And signs and wonders shall follow these. Cast out devils. That was the mission that Jesus came to hand the first century church of Judaism. They were supposed to be the evangelists of the world, not the Gentiles. Mm. <laughs> she was about to lose her mission. She was about to lose her place in God's plan. She was about to self-inflict herself with blindness. She was about to suffer endless persecution. She was about to, to be shut out of the marriage supper of the Lamb. She was about to hand over her mission to the swine-eating Gentiles. She was about to gnash her teeth at her lost opportunity. Because her blindness would last through the great tribulation. When the Bible talks of outer darkness, it's talking about being shut out of the will of God. It's talking about, it's talking about God pronouncing that you have no part in the inheritance of Christ Jesus. 
And it has stood true throughout the centuries. You look today at our brothers and sisters in Judaism, they still do not understand their mission, and they're still waiting for a man to come and overthrow the governments of the world. And they're willing to accept him as merely a man. She's about to gnash her teeth at her lost opportunity. Her blindness would last throughout the great tribulation. She will arrive at the throne of the Messiah, rejected with nothing to show. No souls for her labor. No rewards for her signs and her wonders. No crown to lay at the Messiah's feet. No preparation as the foolish virgins squandered their opportunity of readiness. Her half-imposed, her self-imposed exile and lack of wedding garment has gotten her thrown out of the king's celebration. And they wouldn't read Jesus' palm. And Jesus was writing in saying, I am your victory, all of Israel. I am your victory. I am your Messiah. I was worth the 400 years of silence and wait. I've been worth it. I'm the one who was prophesied for. Go back. Look at me. Watch. See what I've done. See that I have fulfilled filled the law and the prophets. I am your hope, Israel. This is why he's weeping, because they can't see him as anything more than just an earthly king. Is this too hard? Mm. They wouldn't read Jesus' palms. They rejected the Messiah. The miracles and the miracle worker. They wouldn't join in the hosannas in the street. They used their resources to purchase the Messiah's overthrow instead of a wedding garment. Their 30 pieces of silver only bought them the opportunity to finally get their hands on the miracle worker that they could set their destiny in order by crushing the one who came to crush the head of the serpent. The church of Jesus has blood on its hands and murder in her heart. The one he came for, the reason time was split in half, B.C. and A.D., the one who defined the splitting of time, the one who was there in the beginning, now God incarnate, now God in a flesh suit, now God here to show that what Adam failed to do, I've made a provision and I will do for you and then extend my grace and my scepter to you that you may cross over into my victory and live under my palm. They have blood on their hands. They have sinned the sin of Cain. They have sinned the sin of Cain because they killed Jesus, their brother, the way Cain killed Abel his brother. 
Why? Cain killed Abel because he thought he was the son of promise. And we'll, I'll preach that here before long. He thought he was the son of promise spoken in the third chapter of Genesis when God told Eve, your son will crush the head of the serpent who was the firstborn, Cain. And he'd been told his whole life, you the man, you the man, you the man. The first century church of Judaizers believed that they were the church. You to church, you to church, you to church, you to church. You're the church. And they believed it to the point that they were willing to do whatever they had to do to make sure that nothing rocked the boat. That nothing messed with their position or their position with Rome. That nothing, that the crowds wouldn't, wouldn't detract from them because there was no power in the preaching when they went into the wilderness and saw someone who, who operated in signs, wonders, and miracles. Well, I want you to understand something. The high priest and all of those who worked in the temple were supposed to be working in signs, wonders, and miracles. Their heart was supposed to be right before God, but they were hiding a horrible secret. Is this too hard? Should I bear down a little harder? This glorious church of the YHWH, his name cannot even be pronounced unless you, unless you go borrow vowels to place in his name so that it can be pronounced. He's so holy, they didn't speak his name, yet they, they, would, they would chastise you, they would beat you, they would punish you publicly if you spoke his name, yet in their heart they were willing to kill a brother. And the worst part of their killing the brother is they understood, just like Cain did, Abel was obedient. They knew Jesus was obedient. They had a real inkling of who he truly was. They didn't want to lose their position. The glorious church of the YHWH now has been reduced to thieving murders. They're content on keeping the charade of their hoax alive. They've been hiding a secret and they've been hiding it for centuries. They took Jesus to the cross at Calvary and nailed him to it. While they stood underneath the cross and they jeered him and they mocked him. They'd already beaten him mercilessly and they hung him on the cross through Roman providence. So that it looked like Rome murdered Jesus, not them. But while they jeered him beneath the cross and said, get thyself down. When they said, physician, heal thyself. When they struck him with a pugilistic blow in the face over and over and said, prophesy to us, who was it that just hit you? As they mocked him and maligned him, hanging between heaven and earth. When Jesus had finally reached the end of his mission and he knew it was over here. 
He gave one final command as the body was wreathing in pain and writhing in pain as he shoved himself up on the nails that were holding his feet to the cross and causing muscle spasms like your mind cannot understand. And in the midst of his own suffocation because the death of the cross is suffocation. In the midst of his own suffocation, he's crying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, he doesn't want to see them shut out of the marriage supper of the Lamb. He doesn't want to see them go into judgment. He doesn't want to see them be blinded until the great tribulation. He wants them to be a part of the inheritance. And he's crying, God, if there's any way, forgive them. But when he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. He'd accomplished what he came to accomplish. And when he did, an earthquake rippled across all of Jerusalem. From the place of the crucifixion to the temple. A fault line began to tremor. As the sky above the cross had converged in darkness while every damnable disease and every damnable sickness and every damnable demon had come to mock the Savior and hang over his head, the ground began to shake. The ground began to shake. Why? Because God the Father's heart was breaking in that moment that he, not just Jesus, but his church was about to miss her mission. His heart was breaking and the earth was manifesting its sorrow in the moment that they missed their opportunity. Man, oh man, oh foolish man, how did you miss your opportunity? He was here. Why couldn't you see him? Why did you once again, Adam, listen to the devil and his lying tongue? He was here and the earth is rumbling and shaking going, what's wrong with you, man? That shaking landed in the temple mount. It shook its way past the outer court and the brazen altar. It shook its way into the holy place. Past the table of showbread. Past the golden menorah. It shook its way up the steps to where the Holy of Holies is, where the Ark of the Covenant would rest. And that shaking was so violent that it took the veil of the temple. That veil that had no entrance point. I don't know if you understand this or not. Sometimes we'll teach on this. The veil had no entrance point. It wasn't divided. When the high priest went on the other side to minister at the Ark of the Covenant, he stood on the outside with all of the preparation and waited for the opportunity when God would split the veil and he would walk in and the curtain was sealed behind him. He walked through a solid curtain. Now he's in the Holy of Holies. Now he ministers. And he gets out the same way that he went in. 
The only way to get him out if he should die while he's doing his duties in there is the rope tied around his ankle and the bells that let those priests on the outside know that he's in there. As long as you hear those bells, he's moving and he's alive. But if they stop with a resounding thud and hit the floor, it's because he wasn't holy enough to stand in presence of God and they would yank you out underneath the curtain. I know I'm taking a moment to build this, but I want you to get this. In this moment, in this moment, Jesus said, it is finished. By this time, he's already made the declaration, God, where are you? Daddy. Oh, Daddy, I'm alone. God had never been apart from God. Daddy, Abba, where are you? He's feeling the abandonment of God. Why? Because of the sin nature that he's taken upon himself. But I also believe he's feeling in his heart the hopeless plight of the church that he came for. Those whom his mission was were lost. Watch this. Under the reverberation of the earth convulsing, saying, why did you pass your opportunity? Why? Why? Why would you listen to a demonic horde? Why would you waste another opportunity? That solid veil of the Holy of Holies was rent from top to bottom, ripped in two from the violent shaking of the earth. And then and only then do we see the high priest Caiaphas rip his clothes in agony and distress. He had just been mocking the man he hung on the cross. He'd just been in the face of his able saying, I know you were right, but I'm killing you anyway. He had just hung him on the cross. He had just went away because he didn't want to see the final outcome. Now he's ripping at his clothes and he's crying out in agony and he's grabbing dirt and rubbing it on his face. Why? Because... When the veil was rent, the hoax that had been perpetrated on the church through Herod's temple was made evident. The Ark of the Covenant 
was not there. For centuries, they've been propping up a form of godliness. For centuries, they've propped up a facade of godliness. And they had just denied the real power thereof. Caiaphas has been exposed as a fraud every time that he supposedly went beyond the veil. There was nothing there. There was no God there to meet with. All he had was the letter of the law. All he had was the law of Moses. All he had was do's and don'ts. All he had was the law of the prophets. All he had was the Pharisaical, Sadduceical uh, law that he could beat you up with and put you down with and exalt himself with. But when the truth was exposed, the Ark of the Covenant did not lay behind that veil. And they killed the power of God at Calvary. <laughs> Joel, the second chapter, the 13th verse, I'm almost done, says this. Rend your heart, not your garments. Rend your heart, not your clothes. Caiaphas, this was your opportunity to break your heart before God and repent, but you tear your clothes. For some outward display, because you've been exposed as a fraud. And instead of running to your God and begging for his mercy and weeping between the porch and the altar, you kept the facade alive. They repaired the veil until 70 AD when it all came down, as Jesus prophesied. Rend your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents. He regrets from sending calamity. Jesus came to save that church, not condemn it. But from the moment Jesus appeared on the scene after he came up from the baptism and came out of the wilderness with this message, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. They set themselves against him as his greatest enemy and fought him tooth and nail. Church of Jesus Christ, I want to ask you something. We are the Gentiles. We're the swine eaters. Were the detestable and the deplorable that the first century wouldn't touch. And yet, we've been given the opportunity to not only know him, but to have him reside with us. That his miracles reside in you. That his compassion and passion beats in your chest for you have become one with him and while the first century church will not wake up and right now I'm seeing that there's a great 
flurry of activity happening in Israel. They're, they're, they're poised, they're ready. They're scoping out where to put the new temple. But mark my word, they will be blind, clear to the end, until the Messiah returns for the second time. Everything Jesus taught them, told them, you're going to miss your opportunity. You're going to miss your opportunity. Get your heart right or you're going to miss your opportunity. Get your heart right or you're going to miss your opportunity. Get your heart right or you're going to miss out your calling. Get your heart right or you're going to miss what it is that I've got for you. Get your heart right or your mission isn't going to get you where you need it to go. Get your heart right or you're going to end up in outer darkness. Get your heart right or you're not going to make it to the end. Get your heart right or you're not going to, you're not going to be there. Beside me in a palm of victory. Get your heart right. Church of Jesus Christ, will we fail to read the palm of Jesus in 2019? Will we thwart our God-given destiny? Are we going to bypass our opportunity to turn Cameron upside down? Will we turn truth into half-truths and watered-down traditions? Because we want to prop it up and keep it alive. Do we want to keep the facade alive and the hoax going so that people, when they come in here, into our traditional means and our traditional churches, leave the way they came in? They had a little dabble, do you? A little watered-down message. Just a sprinkle, just a, enough sprinkle of the blood to let you know that there is hope in him. But then we shake your hand and send you out the door twice the sinner you were when you came in. Or will we have backbone enough to read the palms of Jesus and understand that we represent the Messiah here in the earth. And we've got the right to turn this region upside down. We've got the right to walk in signs, wonders, and miracles. We have the power through the Holy Ghost to make a difference in someone's life who is seeking and longing and thirsting and hungering for righteousness and truth that we hold the answer to what it is they need that when they come in here they can have a true encounter with him for the first time in their life and everything in them lets them know there is a God there is a God there is a God will we run into the streets and shout Hosanna 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 are we are we looking for something that just props up our traditions or are we going to run into the streets and let them know the Messiah has come the Messiah has come we've seen his palms he is victor he is victory personified I'm victory personified because I'm in him hidden in Christ and where he goes I am and I'm a joint heir to everything that he has so let me pray for you because if I pray for you I can move all heaven and earth that your life can be changed So will we turn our truths into half-truths and watered-down traditions? Are we willing to know the truth and excuse sin and sinful practice as an accepted lifestyle? Come on, I'm talking to the traditional church. I don't care if I upset them. I don't care if I upset you. I'm going to tell the truth. The truth is you can't live how you want to and then claim the name of Jesus Christ. We attach his name to all kinds of sinful practice. If, you got, if you've got intentional sin in your heart, you need to run to this altar because it will cast you into outer darkness. 
It will keep you from your destiny. It'll keep you from your purpose. It'll keep you from your calling. It'll cause you to come up bankrupt at the end. I'm bold enough to say it. I'm not afraid. I'm not backing down. I didn't come here to win friends and influence people. I came here to tell the truth. I don't need accolades. I don't need your pat on the back. I don't need my face on Charisma magazine. I need Jesus Christ. And I need him in the fullness of who he is. And I don't want to stand before him and say, I played around. I played the hoax. I played the game. I I brought you in sacrifices that weren't really a true sacrifice. I played around with your name. I told a lot of people about your name. I told a lot of people, but I didn't stay with them long enough to see if there was any heart change in them. I just played around, Jesus. No, when I arrive before the master, I want to take the crown that I have achieved in this life called the crown of life and make myself of no reputation and bow at the feet of the master and lay my crown, my reward at his feet and say, you deserve all the glory. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the glory. You deserve everything, God. My victory is your victory. Because I wouldn't have had victory without your palm of personification. I don't believe in witchcraft. I don't believe in mediums. But I believe in being able to read the palm. is my victory he is my hope he's the only way to God I pray for brothers and sisters around the world today who are bowing to false gods and have no hope oh God that you would awaken the world so that no one else is left beyond the veil God No one else is left father in outer darkness and cannot purchase a wedding garment. Father, I'm a swine eater. I'm a deplorable by the law. But through the grace of Jesus, I am righteousness. God, my heart grieves that your church missed your call. But thank you, God. Thank you for extending your mercy to us detestable, swine-eating Gentiles. Help us to never let your message fall to the ground. I don't want to live a lie just to please society. I don't want to subvert your truth or squander your mission for the momentary pleasures of this life. I want to come out from among them and live the truth of Jesus from the inside out. Because my future is predicated upon the fact that I not only am willing 
able but desire to read your truth. Your palm is victory. Though the crowd missed it that day, I wasn't there at the tomb of Lazarus, but I've heard noised abroad what you have done. And I believe. I believe. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.